There's a very old story about a man who decided he wanted to become a monk. And so he joined a monastery and he took a vow of silence. He was to be completely silent, not a word except, except one day a year on the anniversary of his entrance into the monastery, he was to go into the inner chamber of the head monk, and there he was allowed to speak two words. He completes his first year of silence, and he enters the inner chamber of that of the monk who's in charge, and the monk says, speak your two words, and the man says, bed hard. And he leaves. He completes his second year of silence. <clears throat> he returns at the end of that second year to the chamber of the head monk, and he says, speak your two words, and the man said, food, bad. He's excused, he leaves, he completes his third year, he returns to the chamber, the head monk says, speak your two words, and the man says, I quit. And the head monk says, well, I'm not surprised. All you've done since you've got here is complain, complain, complain. Wait for a laugh? Okay. What is it about silence, like that silence right there after I finish the joke? What is it about silence... That, that disturbs us? What is it about silence that, uh, that frightens us and, and fascinates us at the same time? We treat silence like it's punishment. And sometimes we use it as punishment. <clears throat> How's your wife doing? Well, <laughs> she's not talking to me right now. <laughs> oh, that's, that's not good. Or you go to a party and you walk up to someone and they turn around and walk away and they give you the silent treatment. Ooh, that's not good. What did I do? And then your kids are bad. Your kids are bad. What do you do with them? You sit them down on the couch and you say, I want you to sit here. You're in timeout. I don't want to hear from you. I want you to think about what you've done. And then we decide we're going to start praying. And someone says, well, have you, have, do you have a quiet time every day? Quiet time? Did I do something bad? <laughs> Is God punishing me? Does God want me to have a, a, a quiet time now? So what do we do? We, we fill the quiet with noise. We turn the TV on in the background so we can hear something. Uh, we turn the radio on maybe to some nice worshipful Christian music. But what is it about the silence that we just don't like? We don't like to be in silence. We're looking at Matthew chapter 6 today. Verses 5-8, through eight, it's page 811 in those blue Bibles if you want to follow along there. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching on prayer here. And right after these verses, He'll go on to give us the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. But before Jesus teaches us how to pray, here in these verses, He teaches us how not to pray. And He shows us that prayer is primarily about relating to God. Prayer is about relating to God even when words are not used. Beginning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, 
shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. From the beginning of Jesus' teaching on prayer here, there's a very distinct call for us when we pray, for us when we pray to examine our motives. Now much of what Jesus addresses here about prayer has to do with what we say. And not just what we say, but how we say it, how loudly we say it, where we say it. The whole chapter, chapter 6, kicks off with that warning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You cannot miss the question of reward in that verse. What reward are you looking for? What is your motive in prayer? And you hear that loudly from verse 5. They're praying in public. They want to be seen. They get to be seen and that is their prize. I've known some people who have taken that verse as a prohibition that you're not supposed to pray in public. You're not allowed to pray in public. Well, that's not at all what he's saying. And whether you're a person who's comfortable praying in public or not, it's a call to look at the heart. What do you really want in prayer? Do you want to be seen? Do you want to be heard? Or, or could there be something more? Several years ago, I was on a long, long car trip with a friend of mine. Multi-state car trip we covered several states on this trip and I was driving and he was sitting in the passenger seat and I learned something about my friend on that very long car trip he does not like silence and it didn't matter that we had the radio on it didn't matter that the you could hear the sound of the road and the hum of the tires it didn't matter that you could hear the sound of the traffic he had to fill every moment with conversation. He had to be talking constantly. It got to the point where he was reading the road signs to me as we drive. I know how to read. I don't need you to read me the road signs. And trust me, you and I, Jess, you and I could sit in silence for two hours together and I'd come away saying, that was the best visit I've ever had. That's one of my best friends. We don't even have to talk. It would just be absolutely wonderful. But this friend of mine had to, had to fill every moment with conversation. He had to keep talking. You hear the hypocrite in verse 5. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. The hypocrite has to fill the silence with prayer, with loud prayer. And then we get down to verse 9. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Dear Lord, we beseech Thee that in Thy bountiful goodness and graciousness they think they will be heard for their many words. I think of those times when our friends are hurting and we go to them and we're not comfortable with the silence. And so we say something. We say some very hollow and meaningful thing, meaningless things, but we say them because we feel like we have to say something. You know, God will not give you more than you can bear. 
Everything happens for a reason. Doesn't it? God always chooses the prettiest angels. Are we that uncomfortable with our silence that we would fill it with stuff like that? Are we afraid that, that our presence isn't enough? We, we, rather than look for our reward in our, in our words, what, what if our reward is in our silence? What if the reward is simply being there with your friend who is hurting? What if, what if that silence isn't actually empty? What if the emptiness of the silence is actually filled with the presence of God? We hear verse 5's warning, do not be like the hypocrites who want to be heard or who want to be seen And then verse 8, do not be like the Gentiles who want to be heard. And he follows up each warning with, but you pray. But when you pray. He says in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees what is in secret will reward you. The reward isn't that you get to be seen by others, that you get to be heard by others. The reward is that in the silence of that secret place, you actually find the presence of God. We've seen that before in the Bible. You go all the way back to 1 Kings, one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 18, the prophet Elijah is on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. He's challenged them to a, a God-off. Okay? You, you prepare your offering, I'll prepare my offering. The first God that answers by fire, He is the Lord and we will worship Him. And the prophets of Baal pray and cry out to their God all day long and their God never answers. Elijah utters one prayer. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the offering, consumes the altar, licks up the water that he's poured on it. Elijah has this incredible victory, but then he finds out that the wicked queen Jezebel wants him dead. And so he runs. Where does he run to? He runs all the way to Mount Carmel. The mountain, or Mount, Mount Horeb, excuse me. He runs all the way to the mountain that we were with Moses on last month. The mountain where Moses encountered that burning bush where he first heard the voice of God. He runs all the way to Mount Horeb and there he hides himself in a cave thinking God spoke to Moses here. Maybe he'll speak to me here also. And there's the sound of a mighty rushing wind, a wind so powerful it starts tearing the rocks apart. And Elijah listens, but there's no voice of God in the wind. And then there's an earthquake. He's in a cave on a mountain, and there's an earthquake. And the rocks start rumbling. They're torn apart. Fire comes up. And he doesn't hear the voice of God. And then in chapter 19, verse 12, we read, After the fire, there was the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he stood at the entrance of the cave, something in that silence terrified him. Think about my friend on that long car trip. I think about him sitting there in the passenger seat while I drove. I drove the whole trip. It was my car. It was kind of a trip I needed to make. He came along and he sat there in the passenger side while I drove. And I think about that, and I wonder if the noise that he needed, if the conversation he needed, might not have come from the realization that he was not in the driver's seat. In other words, he wasn't in control. He had no control over 
what we were doing, where we were going. He wasn't choosing the path. He wasn't navigating. And somehow the silence had to be filled because somehow that silence was asking the question, do I even matter? Do I even have a say? What if, what if that's where all of our noise comes from? From that fear of not being in control. And so we fill our prayer with words. And we say, listen to me God, listen to me God, this is important. This one's really important. You've got to hear me on this one. And all the while, Jesus just says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, He will reward you. Because when we finally quiet ourselves, we find out He's been there the whole time just waiting for us there in that quiet place. And what we learn in that quiet place, in that quiet time hidden away from the noise, of the world, what we learn is that God sees what's in secret and He hears what's in your heart. So what is the reward in prayer? Jesus tells us the reward is not being seen by others or being heard by others. The reward is not in our many words. Instead, rather to hear Jesus describe it, prayer is not really about words at all. You go on to the very next verse, verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this. And then He gives us the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be Your name. The Lord's Prayer, five verses. In my Bible, it's barely 50 words. It's not about the words. In fact, verse 8, He tells us, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God sees what's in secret. He hears what's in your heart. Chapter 12 of the book, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer, Sky Jatani teaches us that prayer is about communion, not just communication. It's not about the words you use. It's not about the way you sound. It's about turning your heart to God. It's simply being in His presence. And when we start to understand that about prayer, other Scriptures start making sense. Scriptures like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Not like my friend was trying to do in the car, but rather it's a matter of communion. God simply wants to be with you. On any given day, I can have some amazing conversations. On any given day, we can talk. You and I can talk. And we can share things. We can laugh together. We can maybe cry together. We might even pray together. We have some wonderful conversations. On any given day, I can get a phone call from one of my fellow preachers asking me about a text and how I would preach this or wanting to know what I'm doing about this or that. And we can discuss things. We can discuss books. We can discuss big ideas. I can get a phone call from one of my fellow students and we can discuss deep theological ideas and things that we're writing papers on. And on any given day, I can be sitting at home, minding my own business, and Connor will come find me. And he will grab me by the hand and drag me out of my chair. And he takes my glasses and he pulls them off and sits them down on my desk. He will reach down and start kicking my shoes off for me. And he drags me to the couch or he drags me to the bedroom and he makes room for me and I lay down with him. And for about 20 or 30 minutes, we don't have to talk. We don't have to make any noise at all. Sometimes I try. I will talk to him and I will sing to him. And if he doesn't want to hear it, 
he will take his forearm and he will jam it into my mouth. Don't, don't you do that because I do bite. And I bite hard. Okay, But he'll just jam that in there because he doesn't need words. But what if I find out that my God is a lot like my son? And that he really doesn't need words. He just needs to be with me. What if all of those things that you and I worry about, what if all of those things that keep us up at night, what if all of those deep needs that we feel but we don't have words for and so we try and try and try to find ways to express them, what if words aren't needed to take those needs to God? And what if the Father knows what you need before you ask it, before you can ask it? He sees what's in secret. He hears what's in your heart, and even without words, He welcomes you to come, to sit, and be with Him. Your Father sees what's in secret, and He will reward you. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. There's a reason Jesus teaches us to pray, and the first words He teaches us is our Father. It's about relationship. It's not just about communication it's about connection it's about communion your father sees what's in secret and he hears what's in your heart we gave you an assignment last week a prayer assignment to pray just pray for somebody this week i've got another prayer assignment for you for this this coming week and this one is very easy or it might be very hard it kind of depends on you but the prayer assignment this week is simply this Get comfortable with silence. Get comfortable with prayer in silence. Five minutes a day. Maybe just pick one day and for five minutes just pray in silence. No no music on the background, even the beautiful Christian music, the worship music you listen to. Turn it off. Don't have the TV on in the background because you need to have a little noise. No sitting there and... You know, coughing and and clearing your throat. Just, just get comfortable with the silence. Could you do that? Because what you might find, what you might realize is that you're not in the driver's seat. You're in the passenger seat. Somebody else is driving. Somebody else is in control, and that might be a little uncomfortable. And if you do that, and all you get out of it is five minutes of silence. You need to be okay with that. But what if that silent prayer, what if that silent prayer where you say nothing, where where there's not even a, a whisper, what if that turns out to be the most meaningful prayer of your life? What if that turns out to be the most heartfelt prayer you've ever prayed? Meet your Father in that silence and He will reward you. And your Father, your Father who sees what is in secret will reward you.